I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there. This is Cecilia, Webby Awards brand producer. Are you making great work on the internet? If so, I wanted to take this moment to let you know that we have extended the 27th annual Webby Awards deadline to Friday, February 10th. This season, we are proud to have launched a whole new set of honors for responsible technology with categories like accessible technology, responsible information, and sustainable technology. If you're doing this work, participate in the Webby's first year recognizing responsible technology to set new standards and inspire others. Head to webbyawards.com to find out more. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Search, we need more. Thanks. We will always believe you. Independent. Unbiased. Keeping it honest. People choose what they like. With the world growing more digitized, it's vital that consumer rights on the internet are protected. Who better to help us navigate this than Marta Talado, who is president and CEO of Consumer Reports, the trusted, independent source who's been fighting for consumer rights since 1936. After joining the team in 2014, Marta has maintained the publication's nonprofit and independent roots while pushing Consumer Reports to break ground in the digital sphere. By fusing their unbiased journalism with their expertise, Marta has led Consumer Reports as they expand their focus of protecting consumer rights to the digital world. David, it's great to be here uh, and to chat with you. Um, Consumer Reports, what what a tremendous honor it is to come to an organization that's been around since 1936 and to be asked to kind of lead it into the next frontier of consumer harms and, and rights for consumers. So, so that's really um, what I do. I get to work with some pretty amazing people, journalists, product testers, engineers, advocates, um, to create a strategy um, forward on what what are going to be the biggest harms. What are going to what what are ways we can provide the tools and the services that consumers need to make smart choices and to create and codify the kinds of rules and standards that will create a safe, uh, fair, and, and more just marketplace for all consumers. Um, so that's, uh, I, I get to have a lot of fun every day. Tell me about a little bit about your own personal experience as a, as a consumer or just in life. And has that, had, has that any impact or bearing or context on the way you approach uh, your role at Consumer Reports today? It does, for sure. So many of the choices I've made professionally have really been about how to give back, how to make a difference. Um, it's been about service. And so I've been involved in government service. I've uh, working in the U.S. Senate. I've also was um, at uh, a philanthropic international philanthropy for for a decade. And and now I'm at a, a social enterprise that also happens to be a nonprofit. And, and 
we really take an we have an iconic place I think in the nonprofit sector because we have to earn all of our revenue, which is very different, and it gives us a, a, a really a source of independence. And we have to create a community of people who really believe and are loyal to the work that we do and want to support it. Um, so that means that we're very different from other uh, other companies that are publishing. We're not a for-profit publishing company. So that means we don't, we don't take any advertising and we never have. So it's a very different kind of enterprise. Um, I, think, I think the reason I made those choices has a lot to do with my own origin story, you know, I came to the U.S. as a two-year-old, an immigrant. Uh, my parents left Savannah, Cuba after a revolution. Um, they very much wanted a life for us that was open and democratic and full of opportunity. And so we came and we had to navigate a place that we were not familiar with. And so I saw firsthand, you know, the ways in which a marketplace can prevent you from uh, success and opportunity. If you don't mm. know how to navigate a world of of predatory loans or you know mortgages or car insurance or even buying a car, um, there's there there's a lot of fine print, and the burden is on the consumer more often than not. And I think I think that uh, that that definitely had uh, made an impression on me. It's also uh, about this sort of uh, really firm belief I have that. Uh, democracy and that you can't, uh, a, a democracy can only thrive if you really have a fair and transparent marketplace. So those two things go hand in hand. You mentioned that, you know, you generate all your own revenue. I think it's largely through subscription to a magazine and digital and stuff like that. Um, is that a part of the charter? Is that because I would assume as a nonprofit, in theory, you could also fundraise and ask people for donations and all these type of things. Was that part of the initial mission or the initial vision Initial vision of Consumer Reports, that it would be, you would generate your own revenue as opposed to sort of going a different route, this other kind of route? Well, the original vision was very much along those lines. It, it was a sense that this was a community of members and that uh, part of your membership was this incredible innovative idea that you'd get a newsletter um, that would review products and services and hold public uh, and private actors accountable for what was on the marketplace. And, and so we've, uh, we, we, we've always been a membership organization. And, uh, and I made an, an even more concerted effort to do that when I transitioned our subscription model to really be a single source of membership. So that when you come to us, you have a variety of, of, of products that you can have access to as part of your membership. And, uh, and that's, that's always been the case. Uh, nonetheless, a lot of our members over and above their membership, they donate to us. We have a variety of different actions that we take, um, whether it's in communities or in uh, private sector petitions and people are, are very loyal and they feel strongly about those issues. And and we generate quite a bit of income from that as well. And then there, you know, unlike a private sector company where we're trying to develop a new product, uh, you know, private sector companies can go to a VC. I go to a philanthropic donor. And so people like Craig Newmark, Philanthropies, were very generous in helping me stand up our digital lab, which we didn't have before. And a variety of other philanthropic partners um, really provide us with the support we need to kind of just you know stretch out and begin to try new things and to grow um, our our products and services. 
What's so uh, one one of the things that's so wonderful about Consumer Reports, I think, is is that the the sort of model is like so popular now today, but it's a model that you all have been doing for you know I don't know how you can tell me how many years, but the concept of a subscription based you know piece of media that's like highly informative and has no advertising is is sort of like what everybody is trying to create now. Um, and you've all that, been doing that, it at that, least since right. I was a kid for a very long time. Yeah, I mean we've always had a membership model. It's always been supported. Um, the social enterprise, you know, we, we have something that generates uh, information that people want and need, and that really fuels a lot of the work that we do. And, our, you know, that really distinguishes us from other uh, places in the sense that, you know, we learn a lot. Many people know us because of the ratings and because they make choices in the marketplace. We use a lot of that data and that information also to sit down with companies and, and to talk about how to make a product safer. Um, and, and if we get some resistance, we start knocking on some doors in some powerful places and try to, you know, make some regulations happen that would create a safer market. So one of the reasons why every new car has a backup camera is, is because of consumer reports. Um, we did not think that a life-saving technology like that should be a luxury add-on. Um, that was the same case for seatbelts. Seatbelts, people think, oh, that must have always been a part of a car. It never, it, it wasn't. We had to fight for that. And so we're doing the same thing now with all kinds of, you know, forward collision warning, pedestrian spot warning. Um, our belief is that everyone should have access to those uh, standard in a car, but that's not the law. And so you've, you know, part of the work we do incentivizes the marketplace to change. So I'm going to ask you more about this when we get in a moment, when we get into talking about sort of more di more digital things. But just to start here on sort of like maybe what think people think of as more physical things and sort of the historical places Consumer Reports has acted, is there some sort of threshold or standard or how do you think about when it's worth really pressing for a standard or regulation or something like that, knowing that there's some spectrum of like a bazillion regulations would like be useless because like they could never implement all of them and whatever. And no regulations would be completely unsafe. And you know, you're, you're trying to, I would guess, trying to judge where you're going to have the best impact and make, have the, you know, and sort of have the most success. How do you, how do you really think about that? Is it about like, is it just really like life-saving things? Is it, is it some sort of a threshold? Like what's the, what's the standard by which the organization has traditionally thought of things like seatbelts or emission standards or whatever, whatever it might be? I think there are a couple of layers to that. And one is of course the market chain, the marketplace changes so dramatically constantly. It's a dynamic environment. What was not, what was, you know, toasters used to blow up in your house. And so, yes, let's taste, let's test every toaster that might blow up. Well, they don't blow up anymore. And, right. and so products change and so does consumer harm and one has to pivot. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't know this, but we survey millions of consumer households every year and we learn a lot about um, what they're struggling with. And so it, it's this, you know, need to be consumer centric. I think that doesn't change. And where where are we seeing harm? Where are we seeing struggle? Where are we seeing abuse? Where are we seeing, where are the stakes so high? And, and you put your finger on one, life-threatening. Um, a lot of those, some of those harms you can't see, feel, or touch, you know, much like air pollution, but they're worth fighting for um, because they create a lot of harm. We see that um, 
we, we make an assumption when we go into the marketplace every day because we assume that everything on that shelf uh, in, in that you know, in-store environment is safe and it's been tested by someone. And you can bring it into right. your home and it's not going to harm you. That, unfortunately, that assumption is wrong. And, and so you do have to make choices based on uh, the kind of harm that you see. And um, so, so there's physical harm and um, we, we, we test a lot of products, um, sleep products for children uh, that are sometimes uh, created by marketers, not scientists. And so one of the big uh, companies that we went up, we went up against one of the bis- biggest and most trusted companies, Fisher Price, because of a sleeper that uh, a sleep product that they created that uh, has resulted in hundreds of, ch- uh, of infant deaths. And it took a lot. It was it was actually it took us too long to really pull that off the market. It, it shouldn't take so much effort, but it did. Uh, and we did that with parents as well as uh, with our experts. Um, and then there are, you know, the, the technologies, uh, the car, cars have changed so much. Uh, we want you to make a smart choice. How do you make a reliable choice? So we look at cars, not just um, when we drive it around initially, but we, we track cars over time. How reliable is, is that car uh, three, four years from now? And we hope that that data can also inform the companies and the manufacturers uh, to create you know, better vehicles. And, and part of that is creating a race to the top. Um, but I would say foundationally, what is common um, for us is just a sense that the marketplace needs to be competitive, that you need to see a thriving competitive marketplace, mm-hmm. not a domination by one or two companies, um, because we, we know that, that that is not in the consumer's uh, interest in terms of pricing, experience, harm. And so we look a lot at the marketplace dynamics as well. Um, so informed by what consumer demands are and where we think there are places where, um, you know, the stakes are really high in terms of safety, but also just um, value. Like who, 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 is there a value police out there that's going to tell you this is better value than that? Um, and I think uh, I, I point to something like car seats and you could find some ratings of car seats that say, well, this fabric is easier to clean than the fabric on uh, car seat B. The only organization that actually tests for life-saving impacts of a car seat is Consumer Reports. So that's very wow. different from just opining about fabric. It is really about, is, is your child's life in danger if you're driving in this car seat? Yeah. And that's, I would imagine some of that is the embedded in the history of consumer reports, right? And some, and I'm sure that's part of the air and water you all breathe working there, like that history and what the successes you've had and sort of as a North star to what you want to do in the future. Well, a lot, we we have over 60 labs uh, where our technicians are testing everyday products and we have a digital lab and we can talk about that later. And what we know is that um, when consumers are in the marketplace and they are making a big investment, large appliances, you know, cars, refrigerators, stoves, um, they really rely on us. And they rely on us because they know that if we're reviewing something and we put a rating on it, it also means that it's not a piece of advertising. And what you find a lot now is that it's very hard for consumers to distinguish when something is an ad uh, or something is actually um 
an independent review of a product that they're about to spend a whole lot of money on. And so they want to make sure. And you know, we, we, we see an awful lot of that. So we do uh, spend a lot of resources out there. We have secret shoppers and they go out and they shop just like you would. We don't have any sort of special deals where we get uh, products from, from the manufacturers. We want to experience the product that's out there. And we do the same with cars too. Uh, we buy all all our own products, all the cars that we test. It's a lot of cars. It is a lot of cars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so as you describe that, all of that, one thing that just sort of jumps off the page to me is there's this tension, this natural tension between part of the reason that people trust and believe that everything they go into the supermarket is going to be safe is because by and large, I mean, and I'm talking specifically in the United States and other countries as well, but just to focus on the United States, by and large, our country has been really successful in that being mostly true. Now, I'm sure I, I appreciate that there's lots of lots of dangerous products, but I'm saying comparatively to the rest of the world, all the work that groups like Consumer Reports have done, that journalists have done, that other advocacy groups have done, have like generally created like a very high standard for for stuff. But that that trust is actually the platform by which people who are doing untrustworthy things um, can flourish, right? And so, like, so if you go into some other market where the products aren't that trustworthy and everybody knows it and everybody's suspicious, it's it's maybe a lot harder to sort of like push those things forward. But I would I would think here here in the U.S. in many cases, it's like the reason a lot of these things these sort of like unsafe things succeed is because they look like a lot of the things that we've come to know as being very safe. It's fair to say that we live in an open society, but it's also, we have to recognize that we had to fight hard for a lot of those standards and yeah. agencies. You know, I remember we didn't have an environmental protection agency. We didn't, we had lead and gasoline. We didn't have cafe standards for the gases. You know, we've, we've done a good job, perhaps not as great as we thought given climate change. Right. But, but yes, um, those, those were hard fought battles. They really were. And it required, you know, the, the, the marketplace, I always like to say it's supply and demand and consumers are the demand side. When, when we are seeing products or experiencing products that are harmful, we have to speak up. We're a sleeping giant. We can actually bend the market hmm. to be more fair, more consumer driven. Um, but when you look at the bottom line and when companies start to cut corners and when there are loopholes and regulations um, that we we fight against at CR, there's there are loopholes in regulation that kept that um, that infant sleeper on the market. Uh, and it continued. Uh, we continued to see infant deaths because there was a loophole that said the Consumer Product Safety Commission didn't have to divulge that information to the public. There's a lot that you have to continually fight for. And then uh, it's hard to hold companies accountable when things are not transparent, right? When, when you don't. Um, so I, when I, I think of the harms in the digital space that are not transparent to folks. And um, so, yeah, you, you, the first step is awareness. You know, how do you, so much of what we do is creating an awareness uh, for consumers about the kinds of products and the way in which they might step into the marketplace and be a little bit more savvy about what they're what they're engaging in, and that's getting more more difficult to do uh, as we move commerce to online platforms. Consumer Reports is, is 
pretty active now in the digital space. And that's whether that's like sort of physical products that interact with the digital world, like phones or, you know, uh, speakers or whatever it might be, but also, you know, digital services and products as well. Can you tell me a little bit about just a little bit about that journey? And, you know, I sort of was surfacing that, that tension before, because I, I, to me, it's like, this is the biggest challenge of all. Because you have these companies who, at the end of the day, make some really incredible consumer products that are like almost magic feeling, right? And so, gosh, if these companies can make these amazing things, these things must be, you know, it's just, it's uh, it's more challenging than ever. And I think all of the potential implications are just, they're just more complicated than they, than almost anyone could possibly imagine. I mean, I think that you all have like really just the Lord's work in front of you to help us have the same type of of consumer advocacy and rights that we have had in the past with sort of like the next you know 10 or 20 or 30 years with all these digital products. Well, thank you for that. It's it's a tall order, but I'm with you though. I I love technology. I love innovation. Um you know, every time, you know, cars wowed everyone and they only got more interesting and um, for for people out there who love cars, I'm one of them. Uh, I yeah, I mean, but they, you know, I love tech too, but it has to be responsible tech, and that's what we're striving for. We want to see innovation. We love some of the life saving technologies that are in cars today. That's that's remarkable. But as you say, when I got to Consumer Reports, the opportunity that I saw was that there is a whole generation of new tech and new products um, that. Um, the, as you say, the, these new tech companies have created that are magical. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And that have created incredible conveniences for us. And like there isn't a single person listening to this podcast that isn't completely tied to their to their cell phone and their smartphones for all kinds of good reasons. The, the issue and the opportunity, though, is that so many of the protections and the rights that we fought long and hard for um, don't apply to the digital space. It's like the Wild West. It's a whole new yeah. frontier. There are no standards for ethical behavior of consuming your data. It's like, that's your business model. Consume as much as you can um, and with no regard for privacy. And so one of the things I, I had to do was build our capability in that area is if if you're if there are no standards, um, then how do you create the capability to begin to evaluate these platforms and these products and these tools in a way that you can actually, as a consumer, be more discerning and make choices and begin to shape the market? Uh, and so we started testing. Um, the first thing we did was test smart TVs 
And when we came out with the with the reviews, manufacturers started calling us like, "Wow, you're you're testing for privacy." What what are the standards? What are the hoops I need to jump through? I mean, they're 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 marketing televisions. They're smart, uh, right. you know. These manufacturers understand the marketplace, and so we started testing around how hackable is it? Is it listening to you? How do you? How hard is it to turn the tracking off? Um, and then we started on other products, and and now we're. Uh, we've got a digital standard that we're that's open source, which is very different than you know back in the day. We had our white lab coats and we were in our labs, our bespoke labs, uh, you know, on our campus. Uh, now it's like we have to create open source standards so that we can actually influence the marketplace, uh, and that to me is is very exciting. And we've got to create incentives in the marketplace uh, to change that. Tell me a little bit more about you know how you went about setting up that capability. You talked about starting a, did you say it was a tech lab? Is that what you called it? With um, some yeah, of the money from a, the Newmark a, Foundation? Yeah, a digital lab. Uh, Craig Newmark and the Newmark Philanthropies. Craig was uh, on our board at CR for many years. And so he's a real champion of transparency and security. And um, we sat down and we also were funded by um, other, other philanthropists as well and started, you know, hiring the kind of tech talent and digital talent you need to begin to think about how do you evaluate and and then how you also create a tool like a security planner. So one of the things, uh, unfortunately, is that our privacy, our digital privacy is now a setting, right? It's not a right. (laughs) It's a setting that you have to find in every device that you own. So the burden is completely on you. For your listeners, we have um, a CR has a security planner on our site and it walks you through every one of your devices, how to go in there and how to change it. Um, and hmm. in the interim, that's well and good because you've got to figure out how, what you want to be tracked on, not tracked on. But then we we're also, you know, on the front lines fighting for a digital world that is safe and private by design, right? Just because it fuels a business model, it's 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 not putting people first, um, and that can happen. That is very possible. But we need to we need to create the pressure and and the ability to to change that and to make those laws and and we've been successful. California's got a terrific privacy law. We're seeing some of that migrate. Uh, I think the bloom is off the rose for for some of these uh, companies where people thought they were just benevolent and and were giving us all this stuff for free. But you know, the reality is, if anybody tells you something's for free, that means you're the product. <laughs> And, and you're being harvested. So uh, it, it wasn't it, it coming to CR and creating that capability and innovation um, was, was really exciting for us because I think consumers um, were not aware of some of the dangers and of some of the um, dynamics in an, in an e-commerce platform it's a monopoly. You don't really have a choice. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to use this platform or I'm not going to go on Google and search and, and recognize that for the most part, uh, what comes back from your search is, is, is paid for by, by the results. So, so like, where, where do you think we are in terms of, or where do you think you all are in terms of having, you know, a handle on like what really needs to happen in order to have that, that sort of world where, where the, the privacy stuff is in a setting, it's a right. And so what I mean by that is, you know, when you, like, if you were to watch some of the legislative um, hearings that they'd had with some of the social media uh, leaders and so forth, you know, I think a normal consumer might get the impression that like, 
nobody really has any idea what's going on, that even the people who are leading the companies have maybe made something that's, they don't even totally understand the implications of how to, even if they wanted it to be perfect, they don't actually know how to do it. The people in charge, policymakers, really don't necessarily understand any of it. You can get, so you kind of get this feeling that it's like this thing that's been created that nobody can stop. Do you, are you at a place now where you feel like, hey, we have a really clear view of some really solid initiatives that will make a huge difference in consumers' lives? Or are we still in a place where it's like, it's really the Wild West and we're just really even still trying to get a handle on how we even bring some sort of regulation to this in a way that's, that's at all reasonable? I think it's both. Yeah. I think it is the Wild West, but uh, I think we have seen a lot of progress. Um, we have seen uh, more progress overseas than here. Right, Europe is way ahead of us on on regulations. Uh, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to do advertising, right? And and we got to figure that out. I mean, this is this this the whole commercialization of, of the internet and the web, and uh, we've 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 got to figure that out. But I I do see promise in some of the attention we're seeing around you know why do we have a monopoly economy around technology. Um, why are consumers, why is consumer, why are consumers being exploited um, unknowingly? How do we create more transparency so that we can hold companies accountable? Um, I think there's also not just consumer reports, but there are other organizations that are working on this too, and that are recognizing that AI, you know, um, that we are swimming in uh, data and the results and the and the decision making that data makes for us is also fueled by um, the quality of that data, and the quality of and some of that data is not good. And so we need a little bit more. We need more human oversight. We need better data um, because that data uh, we know what happens when data is biased, um, and we see that in a lot of the things that, that that we have done. So I think I think we are at a turning point. Uh, I think people have uh, lost trust in the ability of these tech companies to quote unquote police themselves. There've been too many examples of the harm that's done to children on social media, as well as the harm done to consumers. So I, I see, I, I see a moment now where I think we can lean in and that's a lot of why I felt the book um, needed and could be um just a playbook for consumers on what can they take. This this sounds overwhelming. We have four of these four behemoth companies. You know, how do you get a handle on it? You've got to make decisions every day. So at the end of every chapter, I try to do that for folks. I try to break it down. Here are some things you can do, but to make this bigger change, it's going to take a bit, and it's going to take all of us, uh, not just one organization, uh, to make that happen. Earlier, you sort of touched on how you, you saw sort of consumer reports as, you know, there's a there's a social enterprise part of it. There's a consumer rights part of it. Um, tell me a little bit. I feel like this is something you'll you'll have thought a bit about. Like, how does advocating for consumer safety on the Internet and digital, how does that intersect with protecting democracy? And some of the stuff you talked about at the, when we first started talking about sort of you know, like having having a fair and just society. Like, how do you think these things interact with each other? Yeah, you know what I what I say in the book is um, that consumer rights are civil rights, and and why do I say that? Um, when our economic power and our agency is undermined, so is our power to function as a free and equal member of democracy, and that's why I believe civil rights, uh, consumer rights, are civil rights. 
um, think about um, when you're, um, think about what happens when you can't get a loan uh, or a mortgage um, for, because of the color of your skin. Right. That that's that's not democracy. That, that, that is a marketplace that is biased and, and that's discriminatory. And think about the ways in which the marketplace um, charges women for the same products that are on the market for men. But they charge a pink tax is what it's called um, for. And 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 they're much more egregious um, areas. And one that we did in conjunction with ProPublica, we did we broke a story where we looked at car insurance. Everybody who has a car needs car insurance. So we're, we're all subject to that. We think that our car insurance premium is based on how good a driver you are, the fact that you didn't get into that fender bender, and what we learned when you reverse engineer the algorithm and the pricing mechanism that car insurance companies is that they don't look just at your driving record. They look at your income. They look at your education. Uh, they look at your neighborhood and your zip code. So you live in a white neighborhood and the black neighborhood adjacent to you, that driver pays more with the same risk scenario as you, but they're paying more because they're black. So uh, that's not transparent to many. And algorithms are driving so many of the choices and the decisions that one makes in a digital world that's not transparent. And I think that is very counter to a healthy and democratic society. So, you know, it goes back to, I think, what has fueled so many of the choices I've made, you know, professionally is that I I don't believe one can have a healthy democracy unless you have an open, fair and safe marketplace where you have opportunities and um, available to everyone and economic opportunities, economic freedom. And this isn't a new idea, right? Uh, one of my, one of the quotes in the book that I love is an FDR quote where he says, um, you know, uh, democratic freedom is not a half and half affair. If you have, if you're guaranteed equal opportunity at the polling place, you have to be guaranteed equal opportunity in the marketplace. Mm. Those two things go hand in hand. And to me, that, that really speaks to that, the, the connection between democracy and, in the economy. And that, you know, it's so interesting is that the bias in the marketplace is so much less visible now than maybe it was in the past. So, you know, maybe in the past there's, you know, some sign of bias, some discrimination, a certain store, but I mean, at, at, the, at least for the most part, people could go and have the same experience with the store or a person or, but, but now it's like your, your experience, uh, you know, browsing the web, can be in like what you see on the same website's homepage or, and what offers you receive and what things they're trying to push you into. Absolutely. So different just based on yeah. maybe like, you know, what you did 20 minutes ago or what other information they're able to buy from somebody else in real time. Um, that's like, right. You could go and, and yeah. get a price for a plane ticket. That's completely different than the price of given that, that I'm searching for uh, at the same time uh, based on who they think I am what my income level is, uh, what my name is, and what that's telling them about my own my own background. So, the, so that's called dynamic pricing. Uh, <laughs> I think it's called uh, discriminatory pricing. But you're right. You're not in a store. You're not in line buying that same ticket. Um, this is there's, there's no way for you to judge that. That kind of harkens back to some of the failures of marketplaces of the past, you know, like the 
some of the successes of this country and other countries have actually been around, you know, creating transparency and standards, everybody knowing what things cost. And that creates a lot of efficiency. It's great for companies, great for jobs, like all these things start getting back into this world where it's like, Hey, when somebody walks into my store, I take a look at them and I tell them that's a lot or a little sort of archaic way of, of moving forward. Whose responsibility is stopping that? I mean, I, I'm sure it's everybody's, but like, are we, it's, Hey, regulators have to do a better job. Is that the answer? Or is it, is it just, Hey, regulators and companies need to have better incentives and advocacy groups need to, is it, it's obviously going to be a solution from all of us, but like, who do we hold accountable? Well, you know, to me, I, I think it starts with we have not had a conversation in society about what is ethical digital behavior for a mm. company um, and a society. Uh, is it really ethical um, to put these phones in the hands of a child uh, and a social media platform uh, where they are exposed to or can become addicted to behaviors that we know? are um, intentionally crafted so that you do become addicted to that game or that um, that impulse to need to be liked and et cetera. And, we, and there's so much research about that. Um, so I think the, the, the responsibility and the burden is on the companies and we need to set standards. And that burden should be on government. Yeah. Um, their, their job is to protect the public interest. And, and we have, as citizens in a democracy, you can't just sit on the sideline. You might go and vote two or three times a year, but we're in the marketplace every day making decisions. Uh, that's power. And we can use that power in those moments, but we can also use our voice to make change happen. And, and why I have so much conviction about that is that we've been here before. We've done that. We've been able to get let out of gas. We've been able mm. to create more transparency where it did not exist so this is a new frontier for us. The daunting nature of it is not something for us to walk away from. So was DDT. So was many other things in our marketplace that we've conquered. This is the frontier. This is on us. We've got to solve for this. Um, and, and I think that same uh, passion and urgency uh, around the digital marketplace is what you're also seeing around sustainability and climate change. And that is also why we have started Green Choice. And we have started evaluating products um, on, on that issue um, for, for, for the obvious reasons that um, I'm very hopeful about this next generation because they are judging companies not solely on what they say their products do, but on how they behave uh, as, as citizens, as good you know what, what their what their social standing is in terms of how they prioritize they people, do. and yeah. and I think, and I and I think that is that's really promising. I think I think we we need to hold them accountable, and we need to create opportunity. Um, so so I'm uh, I'm hopeful about that. I think we need to know um, this this last um, we've succeeded in getting New York state to pass the right to um, right to repair law for our digital tools and phones. Whereas now you're, you have to go back to the manufacturer. You, you can't go to a third party. These things end up in a landfill just because we can spend more money and buy a new one. It was great to see the state of New York pass that. And now we'd like to see a federal one. Um, that's a, that's one step in a direction that, that we have. Uh, so there's an enormous amount of work to do, but 
um, it's it's important work. It's it's uh, I'm seeing change in some of the champions um, that we're seeing. We're we're I, I liked seeing Apple focused on privacy. Um, that's a huge step. I mean, that's that's really the market at work, right? The, uh, seeing Apple sort of championing privacy is you know you really see they saw an opportunity there, something they were actually good at. And you know, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's so inspiring what you all do. And I have to tell you, like the, the dose of optimism that you bring makes it just so wonderful because you're right. These things, like tell you, they're so daunting. And both the two things you just sort of close with, all the stuff that's all the, all the issues and potential downsides of the digital world, that is very, very, very daunting and complicated. And, you know, the millions of maybe thousands of conversations I've had about whether this is more sustainable to this and how challenging that is, even when you're trying to do your best. Those are really daunting things. Um, but, you know, it's, it's wonderful to hear you are all taking that on, you know, full steam and, and not, not daunted by it because that, that really brings some optimism and some, some excitement for the future. So I, I really thank you for that. And I hope, I hope our listeners um, appreciate and enjoy that as well. Well, thank you, David. And look, uh, if we have any success, it's only because uh, millions of consumers are are part of that a part of that success. Uh, we only succeed if we have a community of of consumers that say we we can have a tech world with all these amazing innovations that is uh, private by design, that is secure by design, that is safe by design. We know that we have the ingenuity to do that. Um, we have to tell the marketplace that's what we want and, and demand that. So thank you for having me. A huge thank you to Marta Tolado for stopping by to share her work with the Webby podcast. You can stay up to date with everything Consumer Reports on Instagram at Consumer Reports. And you can follow Marta's work on Twitter at ML Tolado. That's M-L-T-E-L-L-A-D-O. The book is Buyer Aware, Harnessing Our Consumer Power for a Safe, Fair, Transparent Marketplace. And I want to encourage you to sign up to become a Consumer Reports member, which you can do at ConsumerReports.org. You can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our editor is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Our writer is Mahi Sugebo. Our producer is Cecilia Betzel. Music is Poddington Bear. Webby Managing Director is Ciel Vanderveen. Claire Graves is our president. And I'm your host, David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.